Hello and welcome to a very special holiday bonus episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who's part sea swine on his mother's side. <laughs> Pat, why would you? Why would you? I'm sorry. It I am come out. I realized after I said it, I was like, that's really and mean. Pat something. has just offended my entire maternal ancestry. <laughs> you know, I mean, all I'm saying is I see the sea swine as a misunderstood noble creature. Uh... <laughs> Just because it has a bad name doesn't mean that it's not a noble creature. It's just, I mean, it's like calling something a sea cow. Come on. That's not, that's not nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's not nice. It's not, it's not. (laughs) I think that was the point of my offense. This has been the best start to a podcast I've ever heard. But if I called her a a part manatee, I don't think that would be offensive. Yeah, but manatees are cool. Are you they saying are that sea the cows. sea swine, the sea swine has another name? Is that what you're saying? Probably. It might have a more that I just don't know because I'm not a, a sea scientologist or whatever. You're also saying yeah, people uh, should be uh, happy uh, to be called manatees. <laughs> I'm cool with that. Uh, <clears throat> what do you guys think would be the uh, would be the sea swine's uh, manatee comparison name? Would it just be piggity or manapig? That that is since cow. Sea cow has nothing to do with the term manatee. That's impossible right. to know. Right, yeah. All right, so what What has the relationship... Uh, back to our SATs. What has a cow-to-man relationship yes. in the same way that that pig has to what? Uh, cow-to-man is as... So, like, cowboy. To... So, a older version of the second half of another word. So, what's the older so version swine, of... Swine, pearls, older pearls, younger pearls... Uh, oyster, swine flu, swine flu, calamity. Um, you're looking uh, for calamity. Calamity, calamity. Yeah, yeah it's calamity Jane. All right, calamity yeah, Jane. Calamity Jane. Yeah, there you go. We got it. We got it. All right. All right. I think got everyone's one, voices. Guys. Good job, everybody. Everyone's voices on. Welcome to the holiday special uh, of uh, Lost in Criterion. We are joined by a good group of people today. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With us. Uh, We've got uh, so many people, I don't know where to start. How about with my right? Say hello, Ben. Hello, Ben. That's Ben. He made a classic joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Never ages. <laughs> Much Steven, like classic toys. would you like to say hello? Uh, hello, I'm Steven. Also good, yeah. also good. <laughs> That's... That's that's our good friend Stephen, who's been on episodes uh, all the way back in Lost in Criterion, and we are so happy to have him every time he's here. We also have Casey Hape over there. Hello, I'm Casey Hape. And her husband, Jonathan. Hello, I'm Jonathan. Yeah. What a delightful group. Jonathan does the music for the show. Hey, let's play the theme song. Friends, before we get to the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon for a second. Normally, over there at patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion, we do a bonus episode that is a non-Criterion collection film. Uh, But in December, we do that for everybody, and that's what this episode is. Uh, Just a dollar a month gets you access to all of those monthly bonus episodes and gets you access to the uh, back catalog and gets you access to a vote 
on what we're going to watch next. Uh, $1 a month. A little extra that, $5 and above. Uh, we like to thank those people on air. So if you want to pay $5 to have your name said in front of literally thousands of people a week. Uh, everyone laughed, but those really are our listening numbers. Like 3,000 people a week. That is accurate. It's, it's crazy. Yes. What? Yeah. But, but you said <laughs> Amazing, it like it was a joke. Actually. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like a joke because we feel yeah. like it's a joke. It but should it's be a joke. Uh, but, uh, but thank you to Adam Spickerman for your continued uh, $5 support. A little above that, Pat... Uh, we do something that I really love, and I really love what you've been doing lately, with the exception of the uh, of the one Godzilla one that I you mean want the to the forget. face of God? Yes, yes. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I get it printed up on postcards and mail that out with a little thank you note. That's uh, ten dollar and above support, and thank you to Jason Westhaver and to Michael McGrath for your continued yes, support you. at that level. Uh, so yeah, we've gathered our friends here at the end of the year uh, to watch a movie Around that the is... Yule log. <laughs> Please don't light a Yule log on our dining room table. <laughs> on the middle of a gulag. Also accurate. We've gathered here with our friends at the end of the year to remind everyone to burn all the gulags <laughs> and uh, open the prisons. Uh, it's that time of year. Uh, and that kind of movie, kind of, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this year, we are talking about Toys from 1992, directed by Barry Levinson, uh, starring Robin Williams, a movie that bombed terribly, terribly. when it came Most out. definitely. Yeah. Shocking. Uh, the <laughs> shocking. Yeah, Levinson was on, was on a run here. He was. Absolutely. Rain Man came out. Diner got him started. Got this is, uh, an Academy Award for, for yeah, Rain Man, yeah. even, I think. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh and he'd wanted he'd wanted to make toys as his first directorial feature, uh, and it got pushed back for nearly ten years, and finally he made it. And you can tell that it was supposed to come out in the eighties. <laughs> yes. Well, very much so, and I love sure. that about it with the the Italian modernism and like obviously the MTV reference, which is an MTV reference that was ten years old at the time. Yeah, yeah. and just like the whole thing. Feels like an ambitious, misguided, beautiful movie that a first movie would be great, but you would have never had the pop out house. You would have never had all the huge effects that happen that are work really well. I think, but yeah, there's a lot of OSHA. Well, violations. they work well in a technical sense, as is they they convey the information you want them to convey. <laughs> They're also a nightmare from which no one will ever wake. <laughs> what what specifically? All the effects in this movie. Oh, I love this the movie, effects. No, they are they are beautiful in the same way that lots of things that are terrifying and horrible are beautiful. Well, Pat has firmly established himself as the heel of this episode. So. <laughs> yeah, I have. Surprise. Well, I mean, you know, that's what I do. Uh, it's my job. Oh man. No, I mean they, they they're amazing. It's extremely well done effects wise, especially just, for like ninety two or whatever. You know. Oh yeah, no, a lot of pra like beautiful practical effects. It's just like keep in mind they are the beautiful effects of actual hell. Can you Pat, what happened to you as a child? <laughs> <laughs> did well, okay. did you see this movie as a child or not see this movie I as did. a child? <laughs> uh I did. Uh but also I I mean I we're going to get we're, we'll get there. We can run through a, everything that makes this a nightmare realm that if you actually lived in it 
would be an ex- okay. inescapable hell world. It would I make get you that. automatically try to kill yourself. Nothing around you, absolutely. I mean, other than the things from the that are part of the plot. <laughs> Everything else is in a wasteland. Yeah, no, yeah. It's like, like, how is this factory that makes toys out in the middle of an enormous grass field? I assume that if you move just slightly over, you've got fucking Blade Runner-esque dystopia nightmare around. <laughs> just like, just pan the camera 90 degrees the other direction. It's, oh, there's there's the city from Blade Runner. Well, the, the surrounding area, it's an actual area, like, in Washington. And so if you see, if you go to that part of America, it looks like that. It's yeah. just hills yeah, and that kind I of moving that. grass and that's nuts to me that that even exists that that wasn't all cg that, that it looks like a screensaver it looks yeah. like a screensaver absolutely yeah. well and it looks like a i mean a set yeah right i'm i'm always looking for the edge line kind of to see where the painting starts you yeah. know and there isn't that because that's a real place <laughs> yeah i imagine like, many yeah. of the clouds might have I been added in post-production true. but <laughs> Well, they had the ability to add things because this was still prior to Jurassic Park, so there was no texturing. Um, So that software hadn't been available yet. So you can tell that everything they did had to have a smooth texture. But I would assume clouds, that's why they were able to do like a lot of the toys or even the virtual reality stuff has that non-textured, you know, evil T-1000 look or whatever. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh the uh, the worst effect I think in the movie is probably the the one bouncing ball that turns into the <laughs> yeah it's pretty terrible yeah yeah, yeah. but it's also scary and that's the stuff that should scary. be hellish I like that you can hear like the metal kind of but like keep in mind that, that exists in yeah. a context where like I want you to think about those workers who go to work every day before <laughs> it turns into a military oh industry. you mean you mean with the song playing workers. that's like a minor key yeah <laughs> that is right. that is we are all somehow. working everybody working <laughs> they are or all it's like Keep in Enya. mind, this is just somebody's attempt essentially Enya's to make Willy Wonka. <laughs> that's, like, yes, that's, that's Tori Amos. That's Tori Amos? Yeah. Yeah. Willy yeah. Wonka. Happy yeah. workers. Keep in mind. Yeah. In that Keep very minor key, which makes it seem sad, but also, like, I've heard, this is a weird tangent, but other music, especially, like, uh, uh, in Greece, their, like, kind of festival music, their happy music is all that very minor key sort of stuff. So it sounds, like, sad or haunting to us, but, it again, a lot of this movie is based on things that are outside of our kind of American realm. Even yeah. the toy style, the music style, everything is not our norm. But yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the happy workers, in fact, is a remnant, I... I... I read an interview with Levinson. Uh, at least one iteration of this script was a musical, and that is that is when yeah this uh, one <laughs> yeah <laughs> well more overtly a musical. Obviously, uh, a lot of a lot of very musical things happen here, uh, but uh, you know the other major one is justified in universe, even if it's barely justified in universe. Yeah, yeah. The music, the music video sequence. Uh, is uh, delightfully I crazy. I want you to stop and think about the musical. Let's just ignore the fact that this is a nightmare world. Sure, um, that'll be easy good. for the rest of us who think it isn't. <laughs> yeah, I want you to start thinking about what your life would be like if you lived in this place. No, uh, I get like, that, like, Pat. I really <laughs> understand that, uh, that like, you're it, trying it to is, drive it, home. I, I, can't, I, can't I would be so happy. <laughs> yeah, like, that's a thing that I'm incapable of doing. Like, There's no um, families, you, no. Is bathroom. that it? it you are, Pat, are you worried you are about your definitely kids? Definitely not that... Robin Williams' character. 
in this movie That's in that fair. world. Let's be very clear here. But I'm a very happy worker. You are a person who probably got murdered by it. a toy tank at some point in your life. Uh, because somebody believes the military is running out of money. Um, so, <laughs> he is, like, okay, he is clearly that, meant like, to be out of touch with reality. Well, <laughs> out of touch with reality and from a lineage where... He, I mean, that whole thing is so symbolic. I could go on just about their father's place within the walls of another place like it being that like infirmary or whatever you know where he's at and then him coming up and just saying war like he's <laughs> declared the war that he doesn't know is there i love the symbology of that whole side of the military side because it's all out of touch it's all completely nuts and it somehow it's this yeah, but so, sort so of is the toy side of it but in in like, that's that's to a different degree, it's kind of two other and opposite ends of that same mindset, which I I like. Right, and so what you're left with is a sort of like Tessier Ashpool sort of like fucking city in the sky. I have no idea what's going on in the real world, sort of realm. Like they don't interact with humanity; they're just trapped in their grass island, <laughs> with no concept of what's going on outside. I think th- and anytime people enter from the outside, but, they get murdered. But, okay, that would be like saying, oh, man, it would be terrible to be in such and such cartoon because you have to wear the same clothes every day. That must get dirty. It's kind of set up to be not real. It's very much set up right, to be of its own insular piece, which is cool. I, yeah, again, and I get so that. And, that, and that's, that a way to, that's a way to view it. Too far. <laughs> but then, like, it, it does – that's a whole other thing, right? Because then, like – you know, especially with you know, with cartoons, you can just watch and be like, "All right, I'm not going to ask questions about how this fucking exists." Pat, your favorite movie is Hudson Hawk. <laughs> all realistic, down to the down to the finest detail. We we joke that that's my favorite movie. Let's be clear, <laughs> Hudson Hawk is not technically my favorite movie. Pat, uh, Hudson Hawk is both of our favorite movies. It's canon within the podcast. It's our that's tagline. True. That's true. So you can't deny it. Now. Uh, I mean. Let's be clear. My other actual favorite movies are also not close to being realistic either. Like they're just they're also terrible. All movies exist somewhat in a terrible. <laughs> well, so, All movies are terrible. As some as Fact. someone who really but, but but like this one is extra surreal, which amplifies okay, that terrifyingness okay. to a, an extra degree. Let's right? even say the like, thing. No worries. I, I'm just thinking as somebody who really likes this movie for a lot of the same reasons that Patrick is describing to the, the things he hates about this movie. So yeah. uh, one thing that's I think illustrative of the the thing that troubles me the most every time I've watched this movie, I think probably only three times, and I just. I cringe it every time it happens is the moment when Robin Williams makes that joke that he wants to get laid with his little devil puppet because I, it I just seems impossible that. in this universe that sex exists, right? Like, Well, the first time I saw it, which was right, last that's year, that's it was the same of kind of break for me. About, right? The movie keeps regrounding itself into the partially into reality okay. and really uncomfortable So that's ways. I agree with that, right? That's like the moment where I'm like, okay, it's sort of breaking the spell of this like fable, this like, you know, fairy tale kind of magic. Because I'm into it, totally into it, except for those couple of moments where I'm like, oh, they want us to think of these people as like complex, real human beings, adults, um, and there are no adults in this movie. Uh, and suddenly when somebody behaves like an adult, it's like, oh, shit, wait a second. That doesn't match. Even yeah. the war people are all children, yeah. you know, right? Like, Right. Of course. Right, totally. 
So that's Ooh, the only oh, moment where I'm yeah. like, this isn't working exactly, but it, it really is the only one. Uh, and also there's like I, sort of a sex scene later, quote unquote, that's kind of weird. Yes, yes. But beyond yeah. that. Well, I like there it is, there when is, stuff can... an 80s-esque sex romp scene for a little bit. <laughs> With the little robot with its uh, right. own like trench coat, and then, it's that's so good. Robot version of Revenge of the Nerds. It's the same <laughs> fucking thing. It's whimsical, Pat. It's really yeah, now it's, it's not that. It's yeah, not exactly. whimsical. It's whimsical. And then the whimsical ambulance that comes with the key on top. Yes. <laughs> like whatever. Like. See, my problem is, is that is really honestly that they didn't go full cartoon enough. Honestly, oh. like it, it, it is. It is it is so close to being cartoon, but it it holds just just a little bit onto reality, which makes it upset. Pat doesn't like a funhouse mirror. Well, I was gonna say that's that I enjoy almost more out of movies because it's almost harder for me initially, which is tonelessness or confusing tone or break in tone. Um, after time, I find my favorite movies all have that in common. Where it's just like, well, that doesn't ma-. like you were saying that doesn't match, and I think the first time I've only seen this movie twice, and I I didn't grow up with it, uh, but I liked how it broke because it made me uncomfortable the first time. Whereas the second time through, it kind of lended itself to the fact that he has to grow up still. He has all these things he's going through, but at the same time, his dad knew that he needed a partner yeah. to help him with that and set up that girl being there. She's fantastic. She's a wonderful. Character. Which also. Let's let's talk about that. Okay, <laughs> there is a there is a woman who was per, like specifically placed by his dad to be his romantic foil. I want you to process that information mm-hmm. for me, and then render that into 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 a thing about a human being. He well, he knew that it would work, but it doesn't mean that it would have. He he was just right, you know, like. He didn't. He didn't arrange a marriage. He just right <laughs> pushed two people together. It's on the edge there. It's like kind of on the edge there. It's a little bit. It's a little creepy. That's like saying that you got your friends together, suggested somebody yeah. go out with somebody. That I mean, it's the same sort of thing. Just to be well, fair to, this to is Pat a work and underlining this yeah. is a work environment, and, and she is his supporting. That's man. true. But, relationship. That is true. But that's odd. Other than that, it's whimsical, Pat. I. <laughs> uh, no. All the fun has just been blown out. Yeah. Oh, man. It's not great. No. I, Pat, I will... Yeah, you, you hinted the war talk and the children, everything being childish. One thing I really appreciate about this movie, uh, compared to other movies we've seen, and Sam Peckinpah's... Uh, what was that? Uh, with, uh, with Dustin Hoffman, where he's in the farmhouse in Ireland. You don't remember oh, the shit. name of that, What's but you know what movie? I'm talking about. Um, this is a oh, movie God, where so the it's pacifism versus overt war, mm-hmm. and the pacifists very quickly realize that they can't just hope things work out and it'll all be good, but they also don't abandon their pacifism, which is generally what happens with critiques of pacifism in the films we've watched. And, and again, Pack and Paws work comes to mind. Uh, and I appreciate that they don't do that. Now, they make a lot of sacrifices on their end, uh, and people get hurt on their end, but uh, ultimately, everybody... Like in this movie? Yeah. In, in this, absolutely. Everybody lives. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, does he? Does the uncle even really die at no, the end? No, because he's, he's, he's injured. Yeah, he's injured. You don't even know because that whole thing. He's but, back in that weird infirmery. There's the yeah, toys. But soldiers. he's also he, he's hoisted by his own petard too because it's the it's the the sea swine that gets him. Yeah, not, exactly. Not anything our characters do. <laughs> uh, so it's a, it's a move right, that also so, okay, manages so comeuppance a- without anyone dropping their strongly held the beliefs. The only thing they, they fight with are old toys. Yeah. That's the only thing. And they just do it right. to and run them out of ammo, right. basically. Right. Like, they create right. a diversion. And, that, and that's, all, that's all accurate. And, like, you're, you're, you're totally right about it. I, I'm just, you know, there's, there's... And those are... That's a nice thing, though. Again, you know, th- this movie kind of, to a certain extent, part of playing into the idea that it can't seem to make up its mind about what who its audience is. Which is true. Like, it... Mm-hmm. Which is why it's it a, a problem. Which is it's why like, it's it awesome. has some tonal issues about that. Um, but like, so dealing with the fact that like, yeah, everybody turns out fine. Where there's one dude who's literally running around shooting at people wildly is clearly just a murderer. His power is uh, removed, though, Pat. Which is the important yeah, aspect like, of this, from a pacifist yeah, point that. of view, <laughs> which you claim but, to but hold. Like, to, well, they don't but, want no, to involve the police. Is, they make it a family no, thing. Right. You know. What I'm saying is not that I want them to to kill him. What I'm saying is is that the idea that this would that it'll all just sort of shake out like without anybody getting hurt and without any sort of negative consequences for anybody mm-hmm. is also you know, it's fine. It's a cartoon then. Well, it's what makes but it the a kids movie. Is the movie can't make Right, but it, that's but it's not it's a, a kids it's movie. A kids movie. Well. It's a kids movie with a PG thirteen rating. Yeah, essentially, if that's not for it plays by the rules for the most part of a kids movie tonally, while not being for that audience or fitting with that audience. Yeah. Although Casey grew up with it and watched it from a child, almost a definitely. Yeah. So I think I was nine when I discovered, you know, when it came out. And I, I was so obsessed with it. I, I, I wore out the VHS. I've, I've seen it so many times that, that I lost count. But, yeah, I mean, it was really important to me. And I think it grabbed me in all the great ways that it should have grabbed a nine-year-old. But I also liked the mature concepts. I think it taught me things that, that I wasn't even quite ready for yet. And now watching it as a grown-up, I'm like, oh, right. Yes, <laughs> you know, like that's that's what I took from it you know when i was young and and still what i take from it now yeah and that's awesome because i did not grow up with it whatsoever right she and showed it to me last year <laughs> like i was like toys that's a terrible movie that bombed and yeah. all this stuff and My she's like no really just watch it <laughs> and we did and i i mean watching especially the landscape scenes and the the effects the first time is what grabbed me the ending grabbed me then yeah because like a Wes Anderson film, which I enjoy is separate from reality and can play things. And that's what the infirmary stuff very much reminds me of. It's not playing into it's the next plausible step. It's playing into the fact that it's a play and it's make-believe and it served its point. Right. And it's done. And, you know, the the villain is always meant to be over the top. Like his big, the war he keeps looking back on is Vietnam. Like, no, no one in 1992 thought Vietnam was some great lost cause that if we put more manpower into it, well, at least no one worth talking to. But, right. like, <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to say, like, plenty I of think people we probably may be did, but... living in different worlds. Yeah. <laughs> but also for a movie that was supposed to come out potentially in 1981 or two, yeah. it would have contextually made a lot more, more sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, see, I actually think I think referencing Vietnam probably in the era that it's referencing it now actually makes it that part actually is more interesting now than it would be. Like the further you get away from it, the more fascinating that becomes because yeah. it becomes actually fundamentally funnier. The further you know what I mean? It's like when you yeah you know if you to take a very weird different turn if you like see a, a modern a comedy that like where one of the persons who, who people starts talking about Vietnam as though it was like yesterday it becomes. It's that sort of thing. The further you get, that, that makes sense. Yeah, like talking about something gets, you should yeah. have gotten over, or that a lot of yeah. people have already talked about. Yeah. But the scene where he's uh, displaying it to the Washington boys, who <laughs> he talks to the Washington boys, and the whole scene, I love that they purposefully make it so menacing because he's in the. They just show the X-ray. Yeah. And it's this skeleton with this weird voice thing actually just saying all the stuff. Like, that pulls it completely out of, again, reality, making yeah. it this, car- like, Skeletor-esque, <laughs> you know, cartoon villain. Right. He's even more villainous because he's this yeah, it's disembodied when, it's skeleton. Yeah, it's when he gets scarier. It's when right. you're like, oh, okay. And yeah. then the very next scene is him trying to kill a fly with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's also his, it, his madness breaking point yes. in that. And... You know the turnaround on that is that our villain is is broken by his quest for power. Uh, ultimately, tries to murder all of the people closest to him in his quest for power. Right. It's King Lear. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and but it's King Lear with a ending that suggests he is on a road to redemption. He is uh, getting patched up and still in the factory and it is the toy soldiers helping him <laughs> or you know yeah yeah i never thought of that room as being in the factory but i guess it had to be yeah but the line where they're like i thought that grand- granddad was dead and he's in the factory just <laughs> yeah. in another room inside right? there <laughs> right. but yeah and that always pulls into like the whole debbie thing which is a very adult premise <laughs> yeah. that all of them have had <laughs> Debbie at one point yeah. in the family and LL Cool J's the first one to be like absolutely not <laughs> oh. which he's he's possibly the best character in the movie his oh. introduction of coming out being the couch yes and popping out is just <laughs> Jonathan's love Cool James <laughs> uh, yeah no I, I love his introduction too yeah <laughs> Just every time, every time he shows up in a scene, that's that's the first thing I remember about this movie, because I I've seen bits and pieces on television, but what stuck with me was LL Cool J just appearing out of no in the red room, the red room, uh, or when he has him drop him off, his dad drops him off, and he's just like, well, you don't know where you are. He's like, exactly, always in training, and he runs out, and he's wearing green pants and a blue top to match. The right. background of the sun that will eventually be coming up when it's blue skies and green. Right. <laughs> like, right. it's just exact every time he's in some kind of uniform that matches the surroundings. It's it's a joke that doesn't quit, and it's great. Yeah, I mean, I really latched on to the way he goes to the bathroom. I think that's really masterful. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I really... I, that really, that really hit like eight-year-old Pat pretty hard, you know, like whatever it was, you know. Is that is that something you you wish you had? I mean, those, I, those I think it legs. is hilarious. I just think it is the funniest possible way to like. Oh yeah, no, th- like because it pays off in such a fun way that like that like you're watching it and you're like, I know what's happening here. Like I am fully aware of the scope of what's happening in this 
universe, and you find out you're completely wrong. Just 100%. <laughs> So you think the that's joke a, is that he's in the bathroom, right? And it's like it's funny right. because they're having right, but then there's this like other layer right. of the joke. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Very, very yeah, smart. You, you think you know what's going on, and right. then you don't. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. It's a, it's one of the best things in the movie, honestly. LL Cool J's character is oh, like course. what a child would imagine a spy is, right? So it's right. like right. so yes. fun, and, and you know. It's and like, what his dad yeah. imagines a spy is. It's what his dad looks up to is how his son is. Sure, you know. But LL Cool J actually has. You know, un- a grasp on reality. I too, think the which dad is great. I love that. I think that's right, but I also think the dad is what a child would imagine a military man is like, and the whole thing is like right. what a, a child yeah. would imagine a toy factory is like. You know, right. um, and uh, the sex scene is like what a child would imagine sex is like. Anyway, the whole thing <laughs> is just like that, and to to a certain extent, that really is where my like um, I, I have a lot of difficulty engaging with the sort of like um, possible deeper themes and things like that because the whole thing feels very, um, it feels yeah. designed to entertain from a very pure childlike place. And uh, I'm, I'm not as convinced uh, as others might be um, that there are, that there are, uh, there's, d- there's development of deep, sophisticated themes i think there's there's certainly are themes that are there like in all children's movies good versus evil you know but i think it's very um my perception of it maybe is colored by the fact that it's this childish perspective to see it as a very like black and white children's story i'm not arguing that this is as uh morally complex as king lear Okay. But it is <laughs> well, but there are arcs through the movie. I mean, the whole thing is set up as his son isn't ready to run the factory, so he puts his brother in, who definitely shouldn't be running the factory, and he knows it, but knows is the only thing that's going to kick, you know, his son's ass enough to get him to do something. So we have that. Um, but, okay, so okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to. I do want to stop you there. Okay, to get him to yeah, do. Yeah, I also have the same question. Grow up. To grow up and run the factory. The whole point is that he is... Does, is he yeah, where's our evidence that he's grown up by the end of the movie? Because the rest of the time, he, he says to impress the girl, he's like, oh, well, I'll he only says that he'll help the factory to impress the girl. He only says, oh, I'll do this. And then he doesn't. He doesn't investigate any further. He doesn't do any pushback. He lets the entire factory be taken over and then realizes, oh, my gosh, I need to take this back and so he actually does something that a previous him wouldn't have done without without that adversity that's the whole setup of the beginning of the film is the dad talking about that yeah and in the end he does it so that that to me is an arc right but that's like uh but yeah no i get what you're saying it's it's one of the many simple arcs that happen in the film that make a very large big movie about war versus pacifism while simultaneously having very silly, nonsensical surroundings, settings, ideas, toys, songs. A lot of it doesn't make sense because it's imaginary. Again, like you said, it's from a kid's imagination. But it doesn't mean that there is no build-up, moral, um, arc development. I would completely disagree. I think all those things are there. I hope that people don't think I'm saying it's not there. What I'm saying is I didn't feel yeah. it the way that it seems like others did. I, I, I feel yeah. this movie in a very sort of whimsical, non-serious way. And um, those things are all there. And I think that, the, you know, The Lion King has those sort of complicated themes. And I also sort of right. don't feel them the way that I feel just sort of the momentum of whatever the adventure. And the momentum of the adventure is really the only thing I feel when I'm watching this movie. 
That's, you know. Right. And the momentum of the adventure you need to feel in this movie because it does have a fairly long runtime. Yeah, fair enough. Which I, I don't <laughs> even yeah. notice. I read that, that it was a long, long film, yeah. and that was one of the problems, and I did not realize because to me it doesn't have I, any slow pacing. Um, it is interesting the whole time to me. Again, I, I've only watched it as an adult, but yeah, it's super fun. Even as an adult, though, I noticed the pacing. I, I mean, I, I think, honestly, like, it, you could... This is a, a problem that we encounter occasionally. Like, you could cut out wide swaths of this movie, and it would still be exactly the same movie, and but, it wouldn't be. Well, but all the things that you'd have to cut out are uh, the things that people said there wasn't enough of, which is Robin Williams improvising. Those are the things you, See, that aren't, the thing, though, aren't needed that was for a, the movie. That was a, <laughs> but they're that was also a awesome. Of humanity that existed, uh, <laughs> where, like, we just need, we need desperately more Robin Williams uh Improvising was a was a phase that humanity yeah. went through. Yes, uh, yes, and why people I think got sick of this movie because it was at a time uh, when he was doing Hook and other things like that where he didn't necessarily he still was him, but he didn't have to just like make twenty five different jokes about the same thing. Um, but in this movie, you just have him rallying the troops of toys for fifteen minutes, making pun <laughs> well, after pun, and it doesn't stop. Yeah, Mahatma Gumby, I lost it. Bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> like honestly speaking. Robin Williams is kind of the worst thing in this movie. Like, I like Robin Williams. I think he's a very funny person. Uh, well, was a very funny but person. But he, you know yeah, I mean. he gets that cuddliness down, though, that I think is necessary for the character. He understands I, the see, whimsical. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the problem, I don't know, like, what my problem with his character is. But, like, for me, like, th- this movie has a lot in common with uh, Charlie and the Chocolate, Fa- Chocolate Factory in terms of sort of, like, the way it builds a, a whimsical world and around that, something that's that probably movie, very simple like a factory or a warehouse or a yeah that makes sense. like charlie and chocolate factory sort of plays into its sinisterness it, it says like this is a little scary this thing is scary that's wrong and Dahl, the fact of sure. the matter is is that i read this factory this entire environment even before we go in and i have always read it this way because i probably because i saw charlie and chocolate factory first as a child, mm-hmm. um, I have always expected this. I look at this world and I say, "This is a sinister world." Even before there is a, a even before there is a military guy yeah. who wants to take over, it still feels sinister to me. But it's trying to pretend it's not, the happy which is even more terrifying. Feels sinister to you, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. and everybody songs. working at once. It's like uh, yeah. it's like that in Surf Ninjas when they're like, Colonel Chi is, is the best. Colonel Chi <laughs> right. is the yeah. greatest. As everybody's yeah, working. That's always yeah, the, that's always a sign of sinisterness in children's movies. Yeah. And that's the good guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's also immediately, though, the juxtaposition of those two things, this is good and this doesn't look good or wouldn't be good in reality, immediately peels you away off into a world where it is, though. Which, yeah. which is its own kind of fairy tale, which is its own kind of story. See, but like, but like you know, there's the thing where first impressions mean a lot. Yeah. And like I, <laughs> and the first impression of this movie is that's a, a Christmas you built me a sinister movie nightmare world, song. and I'm in it. <laughs> there's uh, like a thousand it's, it's ballerinas, it's, it's and like a whole... Santa comes out on a, a freaking uh, that the biplane. Make... It, it makes no sense. The beginning makes the first impression of the film is I'm not watching what movie I thought I was. And then Casey well, points out... Well, I mean, the first impression of his, like, zoning out as a child <laughs> yes, and as an adult. Yes, um, That beginning. Casey points the out that there's... The movie, oh, movie is, a, is a five minutes where you can, like, go get a sandwich and come back. There's one second uh, of the car driving up, though, in a five to ten minute yeah. long scene. 
You see, it's the only thing that breaks from the play happening. Is yeah. it just shows the yeah. car in the fields, which is just more confusing. It, like it, 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 it lets you know there's beginning. something it, beyond it, this Christmas thing. No, it didn't. It let me know that I don't understand what's going on. I, I, <laughs> like I like the beginning. It, Stephen likes the beginning. I like the beginning. Casey likes the beginning. I, if you show me just the beginning as a thing, I'd be like, I like this because it's but where kind it of goes. eerie and haunting and 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 that, these are things I like in a movie and in like in art. But then like, then you just roll over into the real movie and I'm like, okay, I'm the world has yeah. There's uh there is a suggestion that Williams himself wanted this to be more like. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and the fact that he's blonde in this movie uh, has been suggested to be a uh, a tribute to Gene Wilder. Um, his hair sucks in this movie. His hair does suck really in this does. movie. Yes, <laughs> that's one of my major notes that I took. His hair sucks so bad in this movie. <laughs> no, everybody's on board for that. How many yeah, times no, did you write that down, Stephen? Twice. I like his hair. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> Ooh, ooh! Now we have a new villain. Uh, who's the heel See, now? Now I'm, now I'm up for <laughs> a fight. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not willing to fight over it. Yeah, <laughs> I like this too. I think the bleach needs to be on a little bit longer. It's just a little too orange, right? A little for scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, it's just he takes the clown element yeah. a little too far with the hair color. Yeah. Well, my actual yeah. first um, note for the movie is that the opening credits are in the font ITC Serif Gothic, um, <laughs> which is uh, one of my favorite fonts. It's the font that was used in a lot of Star Wars promotional materials when that movie first came out. Um, it's like, you know, the, the Force Awakens logo uses that font. Um, it's a, a really prevalent font in um, uh, really 60s and 70s sort of science fiction-y kind of uh, feeling. Um, so it felt weird to see it there. I wasn't, you know, it doesn't seem like the right font for this movie, but it does. It's a great font. So <laughs> this movie, it did fail spectacularly. I think one reason is within America, they weren't really, uh, they weren't really sure how to advertise it. Like the first, the first oh, trailer for him. this is just Robin Williams in the field, uh, improvising, and it's. I don't know. Which is not People, the tone of the movie. Which is and, not the tone of the movie. And they used his outfit. I remember that advertisement yeah. very, yes. very well. I remember, and, and the whole time, I just, when I was watching this last year for the first time, I expected him to have the suit on and the the bowler hat, or bowler hat and um, everything to be red, and yeah. it only appears in the music video scene. It's so strange. Like, the again, that Italian modernism that, that it just yeah. seeps everywhere for no reason. Um. The uh, the U.S. tagline for this movie is "Laughter is a state of mind," which says nothing about the movie, <laughs> other uh, than maybe about what his um, father's or yeah. their father's uh, yeah. uh, memorial says. Yes, um, the international tagline though is "Make believe, not war." That's awesome. Which That's is better. such a great yeah. Why didn't we? Yeah, know that? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid international because market stealing the good is lines. Because an attack on yeah, the American system like of, war. of life. Because yeah. <laughs> we like war. <laughs> Particularly in 1992. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> Gulf was happening mm -hmm. or did just end at that point. We were we, we've been in, in war for it, 60 years. We're, we're always in war. Something I, was okay, happening. Yeah, I get that. Um, I, if there's one thing I want from the movie that existed in the movie, it's the drum set suit with all the oh, samples yeah. that play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
It's so good. I really wish I could emulate any of those right now for it, just because like the one We actually like, live in a world where you could make that I know. Thing. I'm so uh, now it, like it's a thing you could just make yourself. Right, like Go drones. by like a couple raspberry pies. <laughs> so it, it does it. exist. Uh, you know. Cuz that's another <laughs> thing that's Oh yeah. That's another thing that was in the movie that also seemed unrealistic and silly and now is like, oh, well we have drones everywhere. Everyday thing. Yeah. I I Part of me thinks maybe I'm just I I maybe I'm dead inside. You are, because because like that's a real a real thought because like I didn't find that funny at all. The suit. What? I find it just the, fucking the, annoying. The drum set suit? That suit. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh, that's I the found point. It annoying then. I he found is it trying to now. annoy the crap yeah. out of right. his right. Out no, no, of no, his no. I know, but he's annoying me, the audience member, also. <laughs> Not if you're in on the joke with him. <laughs> yeah, the, the key to that scene like, is no. when he walks out of the room and he like and absolutely knows how to turn it off. He just refused to. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. And that, and that part's funny. But like the entire time I'm watching it, I'm like, this is not yeah. like it, it. Honestly, it feels like it feels like whenever Robin Williams goes when his improv goes too long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That suit feels like just another of that. Yes, where I'm it like, is. well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of this. I personally, Pat, am tired of this also. Could we end it, please? Uh, and I feel that way about a lot of the like where like the bones there are like, oh, this should be very interesting for me, but then things just drag on. And I'm like, oh, this stopped being funny <laughs> several minutes the f- ago. The f- they kept it in. The funniest line in the movie isn't even a Robin Williams line. It's a Joan Cusack line where she, is, she says, well, red usually means danger unless it's a boolean <laughs> yes. cube when it means beef. Yes. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. My yeah, first time watching, great. I was just like, why, why is Joan Cusack so weird in every single movie that she's in? She's just the weirdo character. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, that makes because so she's much a robot sense. in every movie she's in. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out most of the Cusacks are robots. Yeah. It's crazy. The Robo Cusack uh, cinematic. My universe. other favorite line, Stephen, is, is I love Michael it. Gambon saying, "Appendicitis is a oh, respecter yes. of no one." <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. There are some really great, funny lines in this movie. There really, really oh, are. So good. I, I wrote really, that one down too, Ben. I, I, <laughs> and I also liked uh, the one of the better Robin Williams lines was they were talking about uh, is this a joke about big ears or or small heads and small heads. and Robin Williams says either way we're gonna get letters from the royal family that joke is not incredibly <laughs> funny it's like pretty it's like a good sort of like late night whatever kind of joke nobody laughs at it like they're just doing their job and that's just the way they right. talk yeah. about their job it's <laughs> almost in I the background it. it's it's like doing paperwork <laughs> right it's, yeah. exactly. I thought all of the product testing scenes were great yes the vomit that. one god they were they were yes. they are the best scenes in the movie yeah, for so me, good in, in many ways i think we're being attacked by the, a jigsaw puzzle that whole scene is incredible. yeah or uh, by a yeah crossword, yeah. A crossword puzzle yeah sets in general yeah like yeah. it's just one of my most favorite parts i mean obviously the house that that opens oh and, yeah you know in the the little dollhouse where like the camera begins on the chair on the toy chair and then Pan, like draws mm-hmm. back and shows the exact same room within a room and everything is exactly the same but I yeah I love how yeah the the jigsaw puzzle room and the when the lunch room shrinks yeah yeah it, like, I just uh, the fact yeah. that he built these sets to just be able to to move them like it just uh, is 
I, one of my favorite things when I was a kid and, and still is. I was and it thinking... took up every set at the, or every stage at Fox. Yeah. Well, Studios. yeah, I was just about to Fox. say, I was just thinking about like, the sets are so wild in this movie. Yes. They're just yes. so wild. And, you know, like, I don't know how a movie like this, you know, I think How Did This Get Made did an episode about this movie, but like for for real, really? genuinely, how did this get made? Yeah. <laughs> There's just so many elements of it that like, well, let's, so it's like somebody's like passion art project to create these like, these weird uh, like uh, op, op, pop art kind of experiences in these like individual sets that would work as like an installation piece at a museum. And also, there's going to be a whole movie starring, like, Robin Williams set in our art set. It's How did this happen? Right. <laughs> well, you, I mean, that, but you hit the nail on the head, right? You have a director who's doing very, very well yeah. for himself right so now. So they'll say, and you, you get got whatever. Robin Williams on board. I mean, that's basically, like, they would have they would have approved literally anything. Yeah, it's true. It, it, there's, oh, people... there's this scene where we, where we sacrifice... A child on an altar, and they're like, "Yeah, whatever." No, yeah, probably not. There almost is. Right? Like, there's like there children almost filing is. into the building, and it's like, "Where are those children going?" Yeah. Uh, right. I got some bad vibes. No, they're when killing I first other this movie. Kids. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's yeah. fucking terrifying. <laughs> it's fucking terrifying. To be fair. Oh yeah, those, we just rounded up all these kids and brought them here. Those rounded and up kids are being used for various building. purposes. So, um. When he tells them that, no, you're just looking from the third floor of the building. <laughs> so they just all seem much smaller, you know? Yeah. Like, also, when Robin Williams when is talking about the children, he says that they were little people, small, not to scale, which is such a great, <laughs> like, like I don't know, synonym for small, like, not to scale. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, so good. Ah, <laughs> uh, Well, in... With the kids, this movie is is prescient too, uh, because the uh, you know we we've had news stories in the last decade of how the drone programs are now using PlayStation controllers, because that's what the the <laughs> people are used to, the people controlling them, and you know we have this uh, this uh, disassociation uh, with unmanned drones of what they're actually doing. Uh, and you know this movie is saying something about that too. You know, oh yeah, not... yeah. I mean that's that's the most shocking part about the movie is the fact that like it's talking about yeah. a thing that in in the time it it came out is not a thing that was like actively well happening. drones that's what I was saying. drones yeah. have existed yeah. since World War One but the Predator didn't well, come drones online have until ninety four. I'm talking so. about mass scale yeah. use of drones. Yeah, it was not a thing in nineteen ninety whatever ninety two. Right, thanks Obama. Uh... I but wonder if it was though, right? Because I think there's a way of thinking that this movie is very prescient because it feels like it was made in the 80s. <laughs> uh, that's that's all, yeah. also possible. You are right. So I don't know if it is as well, prescient I mean, we, as it we feels are, like it is. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe not. But I feel like 1992 is early. Maybe. Though, I just don't that. know, like, right? Like I don't know. I feel like we're still in like pretty much heavily in like most of what you read about in the news was like cruise missiles at the time. Cruise missiles, exactly tracer rounds on CNN all night yeah. and... Uh, yeah, God. I, I have vivid memories of Me the Gulf War on television. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, the, and drones were not a thing we were talking right, about a right, lot right. at the time. But but they had existed. Like Ender's, yeah, they have existed. Ender's Game everywhere. came out in, you know, 1985 or right. something. Yeah. And that's yeah. basically the same 
situation. Yeah, so like you said, sure. it's well, been I mean, a concept. The idea of a remote a control, these, let's, I, I want to be very clear. I'm saying like the way they're sort of categorized, like portrayed here is specifically because the idea of drones have been around literally since the moment somebody was like, hey, maybe we don't have to put people in this thing, <laughs> which has been yeah. basically since they invented air. I think that the... Literally like a week later, dude's like, maybe we don't have to fight I think the shit. idea of like children like mindlessly killing and playing video games is like it's like a it's like a trope it's like um it's like an overworn trope these days right so it's interesting yeah. to see something that's like before that to the extent that like arrested developments one of its later seasons the premise was like well buster can't use his hand so he's going to go fly drones or whatever um right, where it's just right. like a side point in something and so i i am mm-hmm. kind of curious when this like what is now sort of like beating a dead horse quote unquote commentary of like you know, video games train children just to operate these drones or whatever um, is like a at this. I, w- I would wonder what the first instances of that is, because this might be it. And in that, I think you're right that that's what's more prescient. The existence of drones is like, yeah. you know, I think a little more no, yeah, that's squishy. But yeah, yeah, I think this this particular, you know, you can maybe hear from my voice that I'm skeptical of it as a version of a social commentary. Yeah. <laughs> but this particular arrangement of social commentary, this might be one of the earliest instances of it. Right. Now, the idea of a movie that first got its start in the 80s uh, complaining about violent video games right. is uh, considering the uh, the graphics of a violent video game. But right. this is also a movie that uh, that looks forward into very real virtual reality, film yes. quality virtual reality, right. uh, which obviously didn't exist at the time. Uh, for our bonus episode for November, Pat and I watched Blank Check. And uh, even Blank Check, three years later, doesn't <laughs> yeah. doesn't imagine a virtual reality as uh, as complex as this one. Are you saying Nintendo's Virtual Boy was not reality? <laughs> um, I could never play it for more than two minutes without getting a headache, so I really can't say for certain. I don't know anybody uh, who could, which is why. Hey, I've hey, Pat! Really now confused. you do. <laughs> you oh, go. you could do it! Wow, Ben, did you have a virtual person? Boy? I sure did. Yeah, and what, I played it a wow. lot. What That's was your amazing. favorite game? Uh, Wario oh. and uh, Bomberman. Bomberman, the Wario world that wow. was that it had it was like two two paths of yeah. a uh, platformer. You yep. could bounce back into the background. Yep. I uh, wow. my only experience with Virtual know, Boy was anybody owned it. Uh, yeah, my only experience was in Blockbuster. So yeah, yeah. I would play it for two minutes at Blockbuster while we were renting a movie. Yeah. And I think that's why I don't remember us ever actually renting uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, which my my family <laughs> insists I've seen, and I I don't believe I have. You like you like blank, they like fucking like blanked out that part of your memory. <laughs> well, I played. I must have played the. I played the the Virtual the Boy. Virtual that. Boy, and it it you know it deeply affected my brain, and I just. Uh, no, there's actually... He's never recovered since. I never actually thought about it in this, but there's a good chance that playing the Virtual Boy just get, triggered a migraine, and, like, I slept. Yeah. I was I was in my room asleep while my family watched <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas. That might That's actually really, be yeah. true. Yeah. I just like this idea that, like, we, we've always all been interacting with post-Virtual Boy Adam. We don't know what Adam is like pre-Virtual Boy. Like a totally different person. It's fair. Well, it just it did something to his brain, yeah. and uh, yeah, he's been like this since then. There were 22 <laughs> games for the Virtual Boy. That's it. I can't believe that's, that's true. That's it. 22 games. I I assume there were way less. I thought there were about six. Yeah, that's eight. what I was talking about. I, I can think there were of like three. Um, so. so a portion and of Ben them, just named two of them. <laughs> three is not 22, though. Let's be a clear. A portion of them are <laughs> unreleased. I didn't even think about. 
Because the tennis, the tennis yeah, is the, the tennis one that is what comes to mind. Which is why I loved it when the Wii came out. That cool. The Wario's back the to, only one I can picture. Back to toys. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should so just the talk toys about had a Super Wars. Nintendo game. <laughs> Did anybody play it? Uh, All right. In this ben, call? anything else know. on your notes? Ben has a huge notebook of notes, <laughs> and I'm assuming that the whole thing is filled. Uh, the whole notebook. So I want. I would love it if you just talk. <laughs> just about just it. cover to this cover. This is Ben's movie note notebook, so it's filled with notes on other movies too. No, so. they're just about toys. <laughs> well, what, a couple toys. of things that I just that made me think of other movies was the opening, the dollhouse pulling out to a regular house made me think of Hereditary, and then um, Joan Cusack's duck bed chamber made yes. me think of Darth Vader. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. Yes. <laughs> that had to be on purpose, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, the, yeah. Well, I imagine the hereditary references are also on purpose. There's just yeah. time travel involved. Yeah. <laughs> FAO Schwarzkopf. Yeah, I got that. In my too. Yeah. That is, yeah, that is a very specific uh, time frame joke to the Gulf War too, though. Yes. So. Um, oh, and then one more, one more, just other movie reference I thought of when they were doing the the music video in in the hallway to distract the guards it made me think of one of the more recent mission impossible movies where they kind of did the same thing with like a projector on a screen um anyways i wonder if there's a connection there but there probably isn't (laughs) i haven't been keeping up with the mission impossible movies uh but i really want this scene to exist whole whole like as it is as it is (laughs) So my question about the whole music video scene, and I know the answer is simply what Adam has said a thousand times and has said throughout the movie and I've defended, but why didn't they just have the picture of the, the hallway wall, the door. then just know. go behind it together Madness. and Absolute dress in the outfits that they already had? Instead of doing a f- six-minute-long music video and halfway through do it, like it makes zero sense. But it's whimsical. It's whimsical. Of course, that's the plan that he and his robot sister would have made. <laughs> right. Like right. again, his version of how he was going to take them down initially is by annoying him with a drum suit. It's, this is not the same character that overthrows the place at the end. So. Right. <laughs> uh, the the set design was done by an Italian art director named Ferdinando yes. Scarfiotti, I guess. Um, I just imagine the notebook he turned in was like half filled with those Magritte kind of like surreal things and the other half were actual sets for the movie and they were like well since we have this whole notebook we have to build a scene (laughs) in which we do this like wild like we had to get these in here somewhere we paid for all of this he's really a prominent art director Um, and so that's what I'm really imagining is like they just had all this stuff they needed to use around it you know <laughs> uh, gotta get the I, I will also uh, long term uh, friends of the pod and of the bonus episodes uh, will appreciate the scene with them pushing the mirror down the hallway is very similar to one of the uh, elements of the heist and now you see me uh, one of my yes. favorite movies yeah. that I've talked <laughs> too much about on a bonus episode of this very podcast <laughs> That was a very good bonus episode, and we're very happy to have you. There. I do not think you talked about it too much. Listen, I, don't really I believe don't I talked about it not it. enough. I'm ready to come back, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I know my audience. I'm okay. I'm okay. With uh, that. Stephen, there's a, a third one coming out soon, I mean, either next year me. or the year after. Oh, believe me, Ben. 
Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> the thing is, it's uh, the, it's not the thing about that movie is it's not that the movie I love the most. It's the movie that I love more than anybody else seems to, which I think <laughs> toys might be for some of the people even on this call. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that seems yeah. accurate. Yeah. So I'm excited yeah. about that. It just <laughs> toys is a surprise movie for me because it's not a movie I ever expected to see or like. And when I saw it and liked it it still wasn't to the degree that I thought I would the second time through, which was, I, I don't know, it was just awesome because I didn't have to worry about why is this this way? <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is just this way. And I like that it's this way. <laughs> Plus there's a really short list of film that you can say is is unique. Sure. But, you know, there's so many similarities that you can make when you've seen movies and things influence other things. But Toys for me is definitely one of those movies where <laughs> you could, I mean, Ben had a couple a couple comparisons but otherwise it's like who else ever did anything like this before or will ever again because yeah. he failed you know so. oh and they were mostly future comparisons like right, people right yeah so it's just really special in that way yeah, I, this comparison might not make a lot of sense to people, but uh, Matthew Barney's uh, cremester cycle uh, <laughs> is a thing that comes to my mind. Uh, so, in other words, I, and I, again, uh, that reference is for almost nobody. But uh, but it's like this idea that it's like um, uh, the sets and like the way things sort of move through the sets is like the more important aspect and it's more like an art project that's built for the screen as opposed to you know like a, a film but then they just right, put robin right. williams in it and then it just became this other thing <laughs> so it's like a it's like it's like like a, one of these matthew barney movies but that had robin williams in it which is like <laughs> such a horrifying thing to imagine but here it is it's toys you know yeah well the movie could have existed just as a silent or music filled landscape film of just all of the effects and it would have probably been very successful in some realm I'm telling you, you know and would have been its own art film and it would have been great that's what but these matthew barney these movies are in, <laughs> That's all, I would I would totally watch that. That's awesome. Um, but again, kind of making the comparison with the Wes Anderson-iness of, uh, in my brain at least, of um, the fact that it's its own kind of imaginary world. Yeah, there are like things like that to Life Aquatic, as we've talked about. Like they just built a set just to be for them to walk through, and it's used on several scenes, but it was kind of just more to build the set and make it look cool and have the cross section of the boat. That wasn't necessary for the plot or to move the thing along. It's just, they wanted to make it and then they did. And then they filmed a bunch of scenes around it. Yeah. Just imagining this, the set design here is amazing, but the fact that there's just so much of it, like they filmed, they filled every soundstage at Fox, but all of the outdoor scenes are actually are, filmed outdoors in actual places on yeah. location. Yes. So like, like, it's just so much. It's, wild. it's so wild. <laughs> it's wild. It's fifty million dollars to make a movie like this. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And nineteen ninety-two made back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Uh, one one thing that I read that was kind of interesting uh, about Robin Williams was in uh, Aladdin around the same time, mm -hmm. and uh, apparently he had asked Disney not to promote his name too much in the marketing of Aladdin but they refused and they did it anyway and apparently he was mad at them mad at Disney for the rest of his life from what I read wow and uh it's sort of 
made me think about the troubles we had in actually finding uh, this movie to watch because Disney has taken the movie now as part of the Fox acquisition and stuffed it in their vault. Oh my god! So I wonder if they're... It's just an extension of this 20, 30 year feud that Robin Williams (laughs) and Disney has. Is is Hook on uh, Disney Plus? Does anyone know? I don't Aladdin, I I'm I'm it. fairly oh, certain Aladdin is. Yes. Uh, I can check. <laughs> well, while you check, um, I uh, in my research for talking about this, I ran across uh, Nathan Rabin's uh, old uh, "My Year of Flops" uh, AV Club, uh, where he uh, he names each one as a. Uh, as an actual flop, he he revisits old flops. He names each one as an actual an actual flop, a secret success, or a fiasco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I believe he uh, I believe he names uh, Hudson Hawk as a fiasco, uh, but he also uh, which is accurate. Uh, but he also names yeah. this movie as a fiasco, and it is uh, such an experiment in a film critic having an entirely different experience with a movie than I did. He calls it a fiasco. He doesn't like the improvisation from Williams. He doesn't like, um, you know, I don't want to complain about someone else's review of it, but, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's always interesting to me. Um, when I find a movie reviewer who clearly just is on a entirely different level of, of interacting with something, um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Ebert always says that, that video games aren't art. And that's one of the principal yeah. <laughs> principal things I, I I disagree with Roger Ebert with. But you know, so often film grades and Pat and I started doing this with very little film knowledge, and we've gotten a yeah. crash course in film school over the course of uh, you know three hundred and eighty episodes now. Uh, so I you know Adam Speakerman pointed out when I was talking to him before the uh, before the Cinema Credo recording last month. Uh, that Pat and I have probably watched more Italian film than a film stu- film student in America watches. <laughs> period. You know, I can believe that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have a wide knowledge base now, uh, but people with equally wide knowledge bases still very much disagree. Well, I mean, but keep in mind that out of the two of us, one of us does not like this movie. Yeah, that's fair. Keep but... in mind that between you and me, if we're just using you and I as a sort of as a like a sort of guiding, I don't feel like you hate it as much as Nathan Rabin does. I don't hate it. I don't hate it <laughs> right. the way this guy hates it. Right. I think this person maybe doesn't enjoy life. Um, <laughs> but like, I also agree that I don't like Robin Williams's improvisation in this movie. I like his improvisation in a lot of movies. I don't like it in this movie. I don't think it fits well with the rest of the film. I feel like it doesn't fit. Like, I think there's there's a really interesting, you know, there like somehow there's a lot of different moving pieces in here. That when you try to slide them all together, the pieces don't quite match. It's like puzzle. It's like somebody dumped a bunch of jigsaw puzzles onto the table at the same time, <laughs> and we're just trying to jam different pieces together. Each one of them is. Some of them are very, very good by themselves, but for me, total personally, the the puzzle doesn't come together. Well, and, and, and I, I, that, and I think that's a great comparison, though. Like, I think that's a good analogy. I mean, putting those on the table. I just happen to really like what it creates. Yeah, and I, th- I get that. And, I get and that I, some people would really like the result. Right, but you and I, I think, still see the movie from the same, as the same thing. It's jumbled together. It's very strange. It's surreal. It could be nightmarish if you thought of it as an actual place. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but 
It's a thing I do. Yeah. yeah. It's a thing. Adam knows this. I do this in other movies, too. It's a fun game I play with it's myself. A, I don't watch, watch as many movies as you guys do. So. <laughs> it's a game yeah. he especially uh, likes to play when we have a lot of guests mm-hmm. uh, because he feels like someone yeah. needs to, to be the the That's also the voice true. of That's uh, also true. horror, I guess. Um. But also, like, like legitimately, like I, I, I do that a little bit with Wes Anderson, also for my own amusement. Yeah. Yes. But like this one, this one did hit me in a weird, and it hit me in a weird way when I was a kid. But it's not the same as it did now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Stephen, you were I was saying a kid, it was just oh. a little bit scary for me. Not I did stop not him well, like it. Yeah. I mean, so I, I was just going to observe though that I'm also a pansy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was only thinking about the fact that, um, uh, you know when you talk about how people are receiving a movie or the quote-unquote sort of critical work of a movie, um, uh, criticism, the function of criticism is like it can do just a lot of different stuff. Um, Fair. And the the popular criticism that someone like Nathan Rabin is trying to do, um, he sort of announced his goal when he has said, I'm going to do a project where I just barrel through this thing with disregard to whether it's good or bad. You know, I'm not even like creating a list of things to recommend for people. I'm just doing this project, which, you know, I think the the Criterion project, there's you can relate to that in some ways, I'm sure. Right. But in other ways that another thing that I think at least I have have seen in my episodes working with the podcast and watching these movies, it's like way more fun to enjoy something for me. Yes. um, Yes. totally. And it's also way more useful (laughs) an act of criticism to talk about why you liked something. Um you know, and so Nathan Rabin's sort of approach right, right. of like trying to describe why he didn't like it is I can get why he wrote it, but it's just not even let a, like leaving aside the I like this kind of movie and he doesn't. I also like the kind of criticism that is this is what's good about it, and if that's not your scene, don't watch it. Um, and that's not yeah, what right. he was doing either. So <laughs> right, and that's not the purpose of his project. That's either. right. Is right. the purpose of his so, project right. to and, and, just say this is why it was a flop or a fiasco? Because no, then it is, I could take. It is that. just to revisit movies that were considered flops. And he tells yeah. his opinion. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. On whether he thinks that they are actually The interesting flops. thing, though, is I, I, wa- I do want to talk Good about... Good or bad. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Right, right. The, the thing that's interesting, though, about it is I don't... I think, for me, honestly, it's funny that he describes it as a fiasco because that's such an interesting word for me. Like, the way I process fiasco is... I think it's it could be accurate to describe this as a fiasco in the sort of, like, how wildly, like... how wild it is like you know you can tell that a lot of different ideas from a lot of different people were put into this film and they don't always like line up but that doesn't mean it's that doesn't to me honestly necessarily indicate that it's bad i think yeah it just means yeah i think the only wild i think the only way of seeing this as a fiasco is if you think of it as in terms of return on investment right because they created a thing and not a lot of people like it but a lot of people really do like it how can it be a fiasco if like a good portion of people are interested in it it's a fiasco because there was like a lot of money spent on it and it didn't make it back it's a a sort of a capitalist approach to this idea of fiasco that's why as opposed to an art approach or a criticism approach you right. know right, right. <laughs> and that's the thing right is i don't like his turn i don't like his definition of fiasco so, yeah. i i can also view this as a fiasco in the sort of like you we've all played the tabletop game fiasco <laughs> yes. and this sure as shit reminds me of the tabletop game of fiasco <laughs> where like we're all just dumping shit in and like wild things just happen because there's Why a not? million brains operating right. at the same time on this thing and making their own thing in this world. This was the sole vision of a, <laughs> of yeah. a single person, as far as I can tell. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I mean, the art direction is a different person who had a very specific yes, you're totally idea right. in mind. Well, and right? it's also and that got input, and then you got Robin Williams exactly. putting his own thing yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that you could classify that as a fiasco, but not a not in a negative. That's right. Way. Fiasco. You just in talked that, like, about just how you can have fun playing a board game called Fiasco. A fiasco can be fun, and oh. this is like a totally fun fiasco. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right? <laughs> it's like such a joy to watch this weird thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not perfect, but yeah, God, I mean, what from a an joy art perspective, it is. it's like it is interesting to watch. I, I, I did. I was engaged with it. It's just describing it as a movie I love would or like a lot would not be a thing I would do. But like from an art perspective, like it's really interesting. So the first time sure. I watched this movie, I had the same feeling of like when uh, Kevin McAllister in Home Alone 2 goes into the toy store and it's like Duncan's toy chest, the most ultimate toy store. But it's all like wooden soldiers and things that in the early 90s weren't cool, you know? And so this movie also really... I was like, why are all of their toys this baby doll being chased by a uh, a, a dog or, like, the <laughs> alligator and this stuff? Obviously, they talk about it. They're like, oh, here's the section of all the old toys, and that's yeah. what they use. But those are the main ones that you see. And I'm curious how many of those are recreations of actual toys, how many of them were imagined for the film. Um, that was such a weird sense of, like, are these toys or are these, you know, just... Like set pieces, <laughs> like, yeah, but they know. also do the the prank stuff. You yes, know, they've got course. ten different varieties <laughs> of, of, uh, yeah. of fake vomit on the market. That so. conversation just one of them general. was diarrhea. Yes, <laughs> that that is, that get this out of here. This goes so <laughs> That scene is amazing. I love that scene. Yeah, <laughs> although it's weird because you can tell it was written at a weird time because like. Crossword's not the go-to reference when I see a bunch of blocks and shapes <laughs> right. moving towards me. That's, I mean, it looks like it to me when he says that. Would you rather him have called no, them I, Tetris I, I, pieces? But I, my brain said Tetris. Yeah. Gotcha. And I feel like moving blocks. Well, yeah. I mean, Tetris only came out in 1985, and it was firmly Soviet at the time. Now it was... <laughs> And they only Obviously. had seven years to do the edit. To... <laughs> right, 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 right. right, that's what I'm saying. If somebody didn't bother to be like, hey, wait a minute. We have a better reference now. (laughs) It's such a weird movie. I mean, Casey Casey really nailed it. That like, there's there's very few things where you watch and you're like, there's nothing else that is this. You know, like if you're watching toys, you're just definitely not watching anything else. And that is like a really (laughs) sort of rare treat. It's just very uncommon to watch a movie that is its own singular experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the fact that Yvonne and uh, or what what's the band's name? Steve and Yolanda. Yolanda. Yolanda and Steve. Yolanda and Steve. Yeah. <laughs> when they do that correcting, and they're still watching it in the security van because they just like the song. It's just good. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Jamie Fox being in the film, like it, it, just the whole it, again, very toneless. It, it. I don't know. It reminds me of yeah, nothing else. Yeah, I, uh, another just random thing. I love it when. Uh, the general is faking that he's on board and just says, okay, we won't do the war tour is in that whole thing. I love that he even goes into camouflage yes. into putting his camouflage as the colors of the the movie. Yeah. Which, by the way, found this out. All of the colors in the movie toys until they go into the video arcade or you see the kids in the virtual reality, every other scene is using the same palette as Snow White and the Seven Doors. Oh, it's a very specific oh, color palette that they use for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. I can see that in yeah. order to make it look for children and ease the audience until they go to those other scenes where there's oranges and and pinks and things that we hadn't seen. Yeah, and dead-eyed children. 
A lot yes. of dead-eyed children. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Is that, that one of the doll outfits? <laughs> and the, the fake hair? Yeah. Uh, ben has a delightful drawing of uh, our two main characters in his notes, and uh, I'll have to take a picture of that and put it up with the post if you don't mind. If you subscribe to Patreon at $100, <laughs> I'll send yeah, you this you drawing. Well, the $100 tier is where I mainly just random shit from my house. That is, that is, a, that is a plan. Where's John at? <laughs> oh, no. Uh Pat Pat had suggested that he would just randomly reach out and whatever he grabbed, he would mail at a hundred dollars a pop. Yeah. What if it was your children? That's what I was it's... saying. Yeah, we're like, oh, yeah. No. Hey, you know what? You know that's the risk you take. That's your, <laughs> on both sides of the aisle. So in having children, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is art. Thing. I am doing performance art. I mailed my children to America <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I'll cut some holes in the box. <laughs> A, a, was fine. a delightful cameo for me was one of the uh, security guards is a guy named Art Matrano, who has a. I encourage you to look up videos of him on talk shows in like the seventies. He has a very weird bit where he uh, uses his fingers to bounce back and forth <laughs> to to display different digits while humming a weird song. <laughs> Uh, a, well, I'm doing it now. Yeah. I'm looking There's a up. Family Guy joke that's like making fun absolutely of that. the Jesus. Yeah, Jesus and uh, some of his miracles were a little bit uh, like over oh, embellished or something. Yeah, it's him doing the yes, exactly. It's just like a thing that I nobody watching Family Guy is like. Oh, of course, Art Vitrano, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's great. We we were Stephen. Ben. <laughs> you included him. <laughs> well, no, not until afterwards. Ben Ben put me on to Art Matrano. Ben, gotcha. in fact, uh, uh, Ben and I exchange text messages uh, occasionally. Um, ben saying, "Look up Art Matrano and look and watch a video of him" is a thing he would have sent to me in the past. But last night, Ben texted me and said, "Pay attention to the music when you watch Toys." Um, especially the person who helped create it. And before I could text back, is it Trevor Horn? Ben wrote, it's Trevor Horn. And I was like, yeah, my man, Trevor Horn. Um, you know, his like, I'm unfamiliar. So yeah, his particularly weird path of being like the, the guitarist who yes, hired to create nine Oh one, two five, their like huge oh. departure album, uh, into just film score guy, um, means that, a film score like this one has exactly the sound I'm interested in this sort of like symphonic but also like weirdly synthesizer-y guitar-y kind yeah. of new wavy and he was like. in the buggles yeah he was in the buggles too so yeah oh. what so, what other um, movies did he score or I, here's score? the thing he has just done like way too many uh, oh he's Adam's uh, looking it up yeah just I I'm I can look it up too but the thing is I think it's just like like too many to like skim it and be like hmm mm-hmm. here's a list uh because <laughs> um, obviously Hans Zimmer does stuff in this movie as well and he is somebody that started out in that electronic realm it doesn't read music same sort of thing and has kind of morphed into an all-out you know does every single Christopher Nolan movie and whatever else comes out you know so I'm interested in how they paired together, how they got Enya Toriemos, and then Seal, just when the <laughs> elephant is flying through the sky, for no reason, by the way, yes. is flying through the sky, yeah. and all of a sudden, the voice that we've heard the whole time in the song we keep hearing switches to Seal, all of a sudden singing. I was like, okay, and all the music's good now. 
<laughs> like that was the moment for me was when Seal comes in. <laughs> yeah, he seems Seal. to he seems to do punch ups for a lot of a lot of movies and a lot of songs. I think that's right. Um, just like additional pieces. Yeah, and, he's yeah. worked with with tons of different people. That's yeah, awesome. tons of things, tons of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the IMDb page is like a fucking. It's like a wall. It's hard to it's hard <laughs> to follow. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, you'll just see his name on things and be like, oh, oh yeah, okay, I'm into that guy. And that's how I, you know, I think Ben rightly pointed out, I would have been like, oh yeah, it's him again. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I was looking at his like list of songs that he's produced and I just happened to come across Happy Workers. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> I see. <laughs> what a just what a weird choice to have Tori Amos sing that song too. Like yeah, it's and the weird. and yet the funeral. It's just it's such a such a weird mix of Already music choices too. Yeah. Our, and Grace music Jones choices. is on one of them. Too. Yeah, with like this very '90s dated set of reverb and synthesizers, yeah, with two it. incredible people working together. And it, it's it's actually a part that I have to like swallow a little bit because some of it's a bit a bit on the cheesy side. But then there are elements of it that I really really enjoy. Oh, it, the the funeral scene when we're talking about Enya. So the the barrel of laughs is like one of the strangest laughter sounds ever it all it is very haunting and it's funny how he purposefully you know he says oh give it a few hours they'll go you know the batteries will drain out and then they visit months later and it's still going still yes happens. and he makes oh, a his point dad's not dead what's that good batteries <laughs> his dad's not his dead. oh that's why he, that's why he flies away in the yeah totally. in the thing at the end totally. okay yeah he's still in there okay i got you <laughs> It's a fucking airship or something. Yeah, shit. absolutely. Taking so him weird. away to the to the Earth plane below. To whatever exists beyond this grass, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, endless grass space. It's just New York City in the the city 1800s. from Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah, city from Blade Runner. <laughs> that from the uh, second Blade Runner, the Las Vegas from the second Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the mirror song. Uh, the the weird song that they were doing to break into that section of the restricted area. Um, yes, yes, the Yolanda and Steve song. Yes. Yeah, so it's like it's like Thomas Dolby, another guy from the yes. Buggles. It's like to me, that's like I love that song so much. Uh, it's just like so fun for me, and I couldn't really like the first time I saw it. I don't know that I fully appreciated. Well, it's because other people who do interesting music things i like are also doing this one like who made this one yeah, yeah. i don't know just <laughs> when i saw some... thomas dolby's name at the end i was like oh he did that song yeah <laughs> you know yeah, it's exactly. immediate <laughs> exactly yeah it just you know it, it it like i wouldn't even say i i it would be inaccurate to say that i never broke from the reality of this film but like while it was happening i wasn't like hmm i wonder who made this song you know i was just Definitely. like okay this is happening and i'm watching it you know so yeah. in a weird way, even though I did have a couple of points where it was like break from the reality of the film, even during the film, I wasn't thinking like, who's writing all these songs? Like, who, how, how did all this happen? Um, then afterwards, I was like, now, wait a second. Now, how did all this happen? Though? <laughs> how did... <laughs> the thing I just saw was manufactured by people. Yeah. So <laughs> I wonder what that, that assembly line looked yeah. like and who was on it. <laughs> exactly. It's an ambitious movie. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, and uh, you know, I really, I really loved it. 
this is maybe the first time I've ever sat down to watch it in its entirety. Did you watch it last night? or I watched it, um, I think, Tuesday morning was the only free time I had this week, unfortunately. Tuesday morning is a good time to watch this Working movie. way too much. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it's it's fun. It's weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Ben, did you grow up with this movie? Yes, I did. Cool. <laughs> awesome. So ben, we have three on, on here that grew up with it and three that did not, correct? Uh, I think two and well, four. Grow up with it is oh. a polite way of saying I watched it once after, from Blockbuster and said, hmm, wow. I and then Steven, with my I family. saw it for the first time with Ben possibly two years ago. Cool. There you go. Cool. Ben, how many times do you think you've seen this movie? Well, <laughs> it is one of those ones that I would rent like all the time from Blockbuster, so I could not count, but yeah, maybe around eight or ten. And yet, Ben, you don't own it. Well, uh, yeah, and I regret it. <laughs> you have it on VHS still. Yeah. And I regret not owning the soundtrack. Buy it. Yes. You never looked. Yeah, we had it with our collection of, of VHS, but we did a purge a couple years back. I'll have to look and see if it's... If it survived. Yeah. Understood. Well, you could get it online a couple years ago, so I wasn't really worried about it. Yeah. Right, it was I still mean, streaming on Hulu within months ago, I think. Have. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, as Ben said the whole the whole Disney Vault thing. They seem to have vaulted uh, most of, if not all of, the Fox, which is really going to be a problem for like repertory uh, movie houses moving forward. And I imagine uh, there's actually there was a New York Times article on this. I believe it's New York Times. It was a national paper uh, where they talked to the guy who heads up the uh, Ohio Sci-Fi Movie Marathon mm-hmm. uh, about the issues he's having putting together. The uh, 24-hour movie marathon this year. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, not great. So, Disney, stop that. Uh, <laughs> listen to me, Disney. We're going to break into the vaults. I'm going to... Robin as... Williams' ghost will haunt you. <laughs> yeah. He already should yeah. be. I assume that's already happened. Yeah. Let's be very clear here. That is definitely already happening. Yeah. Well, if they rub the bottle, the, or the, yeah, the <laughs> lamp, yeah. then... Yeah, I, I, you know, I assume you walk the the corridors of whatever you know, underground uh, sort of complex that Disney has <laughs> built for their to house whatever sort of secret villainous machinery they've uh, they've been working on. Uh, there's Rob Williams' ghost is just tooling around down there somewhere. Yeah, probably. And people have just gotten used to it. It's this just a Lenovo laptop. Don't worry. Everything's just stored on that. <laughs> I think they actually right filmed the last half hour of this movie in the Disney vault. That's, that's what all that, that was. That might be true. <laughs> and then blew it up a little bit. They have sea swine yeah, exactly. down there. Oh, my gosh. The whole war scene is hilarious because obviously it's just toys attacking each other needlessly but like also the slow motion blur of the footage like it's <laughs> about 10 minutes that you really aren't looking at anything <laughs> it's, it's a pretty fun war scene I like that so it probably was in the Disney vaults and then they had them recut it <laughs> yeah uh, I as an artifact of the production design uh, the cinematography on the, in this movie, it, there's a lot of good things going on. Uh, and I just looked up the cinematographer is a man named Adam Greenberg, uh, who is uh, currently 80, 80 years old. He got his start in 1966. Uh, but his, uh, his work in the last 30 years, uh, the same year as Toys, he shot Sister Act. The next year, he shot Dave. He shot 
both Terminator movies. Or the first two Terminator movies, I suppose. The only two that count. And the way I frame that, both of them. Uh, but his final works uh, were uh, The Santa Claus 2 and then Snakes on a Plane, which are not really movies I think about good cinematography. Here's wow. the thing. In having None seen, of the but... movies you've mentioned I think of as having good cinematography, including right, I'm this not one. like cinema. I don't, <laughs> yeah, oh, including I don't think this, one. this movie has good cinematography. I think it has not beautiful sets. Good. I think it has... Yeah. I think you could just point the camera at anything. There's a moment where um, they're like running through the hallways and they like run into that old guy. I forget the guy who's in from Hook. Anyway, uh, they just Owen. like Owens. Owen Owens. There we go. So they run into that guy and it's like, where was he? What camera angles showing them meeting him? Why was he even set? What's that scene for? That is like there's like the cinematography is certainly and like the just the like. The way the camera works in this is just not particularly impressive. But everything that it points right. at, it's like, oh wow! But this is like <laughs> beautiful, though. <laughs> Maybe that's less cinematography and more editing. Uh, it's because possible. it is it's edited back and forth really strangely in it action. Really but it's hard to say what is and what isn't strange in action when you look at movies from '80s to now. It's changed like 400 times. What's accepted, you know, between shaky cams, not shaky cams, big shots, tiny cuts, you know. And this movie kind of does a lot of those things <laughs> all, all together. <laughs> it really is trying everything. <laughs> <laughs> Editor just couldn't make decisions. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Maybe uh, just too many voices on, on the editing, too. Uh, yeah. Also, trying to just try to imagine the, the process of editing this film. Just, just think about what happens. <laughs> like... like you're probably a little shaky on what the plot is, honestly. Like, should I show the sea swine? Should I not show the sea swine? Are yeah, these its eyeballs like, or is it a, a lot gun? Of the, a lot of the visuals probably in still frame are pretty incomprehensible <laughs> in and of themselves, right? Like, like because every single one of them is some sort of like very like modern art piece. Yeah. In still frame, so you're like, it's probably it's probably really challenging, honestly, to be like, because you know you've got like a person standing in just a wild ass background. And you're like, well, like, can the audience see this? I don't know. I don't know what I. I don't know what I'm doing here. He's probably smoking real heavily at that point. The smoking like, jacket. Just really like. He's just probably just like I can't. I oh boy, it's a, it's a job. Um, it's a job. And you know, because I mean, this would be a hard one. This would be a really really difficult film. That well, especially because there's a, apparently like long improvised sections, you know, and. Right. Yeah. One of the. How do you cut those? Yeah. Edit well, those? there's yeah. like there's this sort of like school of thought that a lot of modern comedy really suffers in like the sort of cohesion of narrative sense because a lot of the story is like written in the editing room because it's like edited together from these improvised pieces. So a lot of the details are just like picked in the editing room. Anyway, so the, I don't know. This movie was kind of working uphill by trying to have these like carefully designed and controlled set pieces and also like freewheeling yeah. <laughs> like 15 minute <laughs> rants by Robin Williams in right. those sets. Right. And I think that's a, that's why you get those in whole cloth, right? You get 15 yeah. minutes of it just because it's like, well, I don't know. Like, I can't splice She's the this. whole thing. That's not possible. <laughs> well, it's very, the, the way Robert. Williams, uh, Robert, the way Robert <laughs> Williams, no, the way Robin Williams comedy works is also very, uh, you know, it's so rapid fire. I think it's, it's hard to coherently edit it period, um, which yeah. is uh, maybe something he's trying to do to a certain extent yeah. as well. I think Are there so. outtakes Although, from this movie? 
Uh, not that I've seen. Uh, they are in the movie. Yeah, I was going to say they're in the movie. <laughs> they're all in the movie. It, it's called <laughs> Act Two. <laughs> That's loosely what I was getting at, but that was very. As it <laughs> turns out, this was actually shot in real time. Uh, <laughs> um, there's there's a scene that I saw uh, when I was reading an article about pretty much everything how the movie was really great and you know it's sad that it didn't do better and talking about how it had an all-star cast that should have worked one of the best casts ever assembled all that sort of stuff people talk about when they talk about movies that should have worked but when they got into detail about um the artwork and and the scene sets and the cinematography one of the biggest things that they showed one of their favorite scenes that looked like it was straight out of an italian modernist painting wasn't one of the sets at all it was robin williams walking through the factory um with the smoking jacket on and the way that the smoke is billowing out behind him and yet um and how just that still image looks like its own beautiful piece of work and how the movie is just filled with a lot of that which is very interesting saying i want to take something that works as uh, still life or uh, a painting and make it a movie that might get things pretty jumbled um but something again i don't know why because when i was watching the movie i didn't have any of these thoughts but always back to the wes anderson comparison in my brain because i don't think that they've launched anything at all but just out of what we've talked about is everything in the background being so intricately moving and that was part of this uh scene as well while he's walking across all the workers in the background are just it's this kind of endless choreographed dance of things and and so the movie I don't know, has incredible attention to detail, even in stuff that I've probably never paid attention to in the, in the background, the things that work together. I don't know. It's just very well connected. I think it was well thought out is all I'm saying. I've said it's jumbled and it's all these things. I actually think that it's very intentional though. <laughs> They're definitely... Well, I mean, I jumbled specifically to, to, to referring to like separate elements entirely. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I do think, you, like I said, like what I was saying earlier, is every individual piece, for the most part, has been well made. Yeah. It's just that, like, why are know, those things together? They don't. Yeah, <laughs> they don't work necessarily together. And and if that's a thing you're into, you enjoy seeing things like that. Then that's it's spot on, right? Like, it's uh, who do you think would have you know, been a better main character, a better Leslie than Robin Williams? Who could have done it and uh, kept see, the tone I, of the I, film? I am officially the worst person to ask, <laughs> ask about that. I don't well, know anybody. Any, that's anybody. Any actors, I'm curious. Any director. If, if that is one um, of the things that doesn't keep things together and one of the improv bit things or not having enough of it. I think it probably much. would have done better without improv, honestly speaking. Just him acting. Just actual written comedy dialogue with like him being a whimsical, like, well, you know, get, hiring a comedy writer to write a character with jokes and then having that character be de- that those jokes be delivered by somebody who is known for, you know, delivering jokes that have been pre-written. I think honestly speaking, from a real from a real personal perspective, I think that would have probably been, been I would be interested in seeing a version of this movie that has actual children in the lead roles. <laughs> like 
Huh. That would also be super that, interesting. That would yeah. make wow. more that sense to my very, brain. Very and my, you know, uh, that mm. I'm not saying that's I a agree. better movie yeah. or anything, but like if the goal is to turn it into something that may sell, you know, or like make more sense to the average viewer, I think actual children. <laughs> also, there's too very, young to yeah. inherit there's the something thing. Something very funny about but a kid. He still should because of those same sort of things. That would be very and interesting. And even the LL Cool J character. I, but I also would like the idea that there's child, a, war, a soldier right? who's like nine yeah. years old who's talking about Vietnam is hilarious. Well, not, not well, he zero. would have to be the adult. Yeah. But yeah, the, the rest general. of them as no, kids. They could maybe all instead be of children. being uh, at maybe LL Cool J, instead of actually being in the army, he was in, you know, like Boy Scouts or something. Some so camp. You know, yeah, like, that's right. Yeah. So it also makes them seeing the children in, you know, the video game areas that's right. like that much more. It all makes more sense. The whole thing just wow. makes more sense if it's children. I wasn't kidding when I said earlier, this movie seems like its main characters are all 11-year-olds who don't know what sex is. Like, I, yeah, I'm not, I just sure, really yeah. believe that to be the case. This movie was, you know, I don't know if it was written with children in mind. I assume because of the environment and the fact that she is a robot, but yeah. Yeah, that's part of it. But also, like, she's weird even for a child, right? Like, if she behaved that way, you'd be like, this is a weird 10-year-old let yeah, alone right. a weird 30-year-old right. or whatever it is she is in yeah. this 25. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, so that's what I that would be my sort of fantasy casting is just actual children. I, I again, I'm not saying it would make for a, a better movie, but it would make for one that's a little more sensible. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. Well, to try to Yeah, a lot of the problems I have would be resolved by that yeah. change yeah. for sure. That to try to answer true. Jonathan's question, I have looked up other 1992 comedies. Perfect. So we can look at the stars of those other 1992 comedies and decide whether or not they would work in this movie better. Uh, so we've got Sylvester Stallone in Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Okay. Uh, so if Stallone were in this movie, no. do we think that would work? No. I don't, no. 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 Uh, Wayne's World came out in 1992. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I'd so be into a be. Mike Myers toys. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if 1992 Mike Myers toys would have worked. Uh, I would enough. do a Mike. I would do a 92 Mike Myers toys well before I would do a late 90s and beyond oh, Mike yeah. Myers though. Yeah. yeah, I'm with Jonathan. On that. I'm, I'm into cool. both yeah. for um, different reasons. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> One of them is a garbage fire, and that's hilarious too. Uh, my cousin, Vin, my cousin Vinny, also came out in 1992. Uh, Joe Pesci. So, <laughs> so you laugh, but then Joe Pesci was in Home Alone, both Home Alone that's, movies. That's true. Yeah, he that's was true. put in a kid's comedy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Home Alone though. 2 also came out in this year. Yes. Uh, so we could have Macaulay Culkin in Macaulay this Culkin would, would have been a okay. That would have worked. Yes. R- Rodney Dangerfield's Ladybugs. Uh, <laughs> My God. Oh, Rodney Dangerfield is a wild <laughs> yeah. choice. Which, which it seems like. You know, 1992 Rodney Dangerfield putting him in a kids movie, but Ladybugs is a kids movie too. So. It is right, exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, we'd certainly offend the royal family, huh? <laughs> hey, he's <laughs> constantly adjusting his neck. I yeah. was doing that while. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, wow. you have to. It's part of the bit. You have to do it. Uh, Sister Act came out in 1992 yes. too. Will be Goldberg, big, big bankable yeah. star for that. Uh, I would like that very much, yeah, actually. I think that would work out really I would find that well. extremely palatable. Um, what else? Captain Ron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I would. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, the Mighty think... Ducks came out in 92 as well. Okay, Emilio Estevez. As, maybe, uh, maybe. Uh, or Eddie any Murphy. of the kids. And we've got a couple Eddie Murphy movies, it looks like, too. Okay. Eddie Murphy wow. might work, too. Yeah. 
In a lot of ways, if you swapped Uh Joan Cusack for Robin Williams, this movie might even make more (laughs) sense, right? Joan Cusack as like the, (laughs) you know, and then Robin Williams as a weirdo. Anyway. Well, that's where AI comes from or uh, no, Bicentennial Man or whatever. Oh, there you go. (laughs) That was the swap. No, I think that, uh, that, that would make some interesting sense to, to switch I'm telling you playing that all yeah. of the choices that I'm suggesting are ones that would make the movie make more sense. And I'm again just want to be very clear. I'm not saying that's the right move is to try to make this movie right, make right, more right, 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 right. If you really wanted right, to, right. it wouldn't, wouldn't be, as be hard yeah. to do. But, but what I what I'm saying for the opposite is not that, or not the opposite, but like keep in mind that look at what the game we just played and how interesting that was for everybody. Like stunt <laughs> casting is usually not that that's interesting true. as an activity. But it was very interesting for us because I think fundamentally on a sort of deep down level, everybody realizes that Rob Williams' character in this doesn't quite perfectly gel with the movie he's in exactly. Uh, it's an interesting choice and it does interesting things as a result because of that. But like, there's another version of this movie where it's just a person actually acting. I think the problem with that may not just be Robin Williams, but Robin Williams trying to channel Gene Wilder in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's also that true. That, you're possible. probably right about that. And the 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 menace of Willy Wonka. Yeah, Gene Wilder's character is scary as shit in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> and this this character does, this movie is menacing, but that character right. is not. And you know he never right. he never tries to do that necessarily, but he's supposed to be the opposite. He yeah. takes after his father. His father's pacemaker was a beanie hat. You right. know, the, right. the, the whole yeah. thing. Right. He was buried had, had, with a yeah. thing of last. He's supposed to be all the things his father was, except he didn't have it within him to run the company and then does. Right. He should have not a shred of menace to him at all, which is, again, why Stephen had a hard time with the devil puppet and saying he wanted to get laid, because that doesn't seem in line with anything right. else that this character right. is. Yeah, it seems out of character. But yeah. also, to me, was more comforting because I'm like, oh, he's still like some 20 to 30-some-year-old man who is yeah. a real person. Like, that's okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. How how old is uh, Gene Wilder's character in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? That's a good question. How old is Willy Wonka? How old is Willy Wonka? I mean, are we asking which question are we asking? No, how old is Willy Wonka supposed to be in that movie? 185. <laughs> I think that makes I sense. I always assumed yeah. he was eternal, yeah. honestly. Yeah. I always assumed that he is immortal. He's, yeah, he's very very yeah. ancient. <laughs> and and maybe just the fact that this character is meant to be so much younger is very different too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this character is 11. I'm telling yeah, you, right. this character's a <laughs> yeah, child. Yeah, I'm yeah. telling you, yeah. he's uh, just Jack a child in the movie. Yeah. 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 Right, yeah. There right. You go. <laughs> yeah, which I also love. Yeah. Right, so, but it's also kind of sinister. There is only one Robin Williams character in the world. Uh, <laughs> oh. Jack Adams. Yeah, he's got Jack, Jack Adams. <laughs> oh my gosh! And it's all in RV. Watch RV. <laughs> oh no. Don't watch our real Williams is what that stands for. <laughs> All right. Let's end the podcast on that. Good. Uh, I, yeah. Friends, thank you for joining. Let's uh Let's play a look back at the year game. Everybody, not even necessarily a movie that came out this year. What's the best movie you saw this year? 
too big a question? Too big a question. Well, you and I what? might agree, Adam, on Knives Out. Yeah, Knives Out is the answer for me, too. Knives Out, okay. knives out is very, very good. Uh, it comes out in a month and a half here, Yeah, guys. sorry. Come on. It's, a, it's excellent. <laughs> well, you have something to look forward to. Yeah, for your birthday, Pat. It comes out, to a, week, it comes out a week after Jojo Rabbit. Well, there oh, you, you go. Oh, You've got a week full of good movies yeah. for your birthday. Stop complaining. <laughs> you should go see all Except of those. Everybody I know has seen it already, so it's just, you know, it's hard. Well, not everyone you know in Japan. So. <laughs> you realize that nobody in Japan is excited, right? Like, that's not. It's not. That Knives Out's not a, not a big play in Japan. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. No, because like you know, it. I mean, if it gets enough, if it gets enough popularity in America, it'll it'll pick up steam here. But that's generally the way those things work, right? I mean, Japan has its own film industry, like that people get excited about. I can't go and talk to my like Japanese friends and be like, "Hey, how about that Knives Out?" And they'll just be like, "What?" Actually, there's a video game called Knives Out. It gets very confusing. Oh, it's also a Radiohead song. That's the one I keep thinking of. I know I can't. Uh, I I haven't seen the movie because I just assumed that it would be well, it, equally it, as anxiety-inducing <laughs> and, and depressing, and it's a comedy, so my brain can't put it. together. It is part of the extended Radiohead. When song I try to search for universe. knives out in Japanese, I only get the video mm. game. What's the video game? Bet? It takes a lot of energy. Called knives out. No, what? Guns, Adam. <laughs> you, you, you take the knives out of things. It's it's like Operation. If somebody swallows, no, a it's bunch it's of a knives. it's like yeah. a clone of um, it's a clone of um. Fortnite and those kind of things. Oh, okay. But um, knives only? It's very popular here. It's super no, popular. The knives are out. The knives are out. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. No knives. It, it Slappers appears only. as though the, the movie Us came out in 2019 also, and that is the best oh, movie yes. we saw this year. Man, that... Uh... Us came out in this year? <sighs> it did. It came out in like March or April, which, wow. Stephen, I forgot about that. Thanks for yeah. bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. Us, Number two us is, is Knives is Out. Number one is Us. Yeah. <laughs> for me. Um, us, was, us was very good. Can I just name Criterion films sure. I've watched? Yeah, absolutely. Come out this year? There, go ahead. I really like A Woman Des- Ascends the Stairs quite a bit. I liked uh, Yee Yee a lot. Did we watch that this year? Man. <laughs> that was this year. March was so long ago. Yes. Yes, <laughs> it was. <laughs> uh. It's been a long year. <laughs> the world. It has. I would say the movie that made the most impact on me, like haunted me in some way, was Jojo Rabbit. Like I think I, I think I actually like thought about that movie for longer than I have about any other movie that I saw this year. Like I'm basically still thinking about it, and I saw it when it opened. I'll give a a side or second shout out to Peanut Butter Falcon, which maybe not as many people have seen. I uh, I saw nice. a trailer for it. Does that count? No, no. no I need to see that. Uh, Parasite also up on I my list too. I don't watch movies that aren't this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's this is an unfair question to Pat because the only movies he watches are are Criterion movies are now. That's all I have time. It's for. all he has time for. I don't have time to like watch movies for fun. I don't have children. I, I get to watch movies. It's it's a it's a trade off. I get to watch movies. I get to watch children's movies. Well, what's the best usually half the best. of them? While I also like do other things around the house, like what's doing dishes while they watch children's. What's movies. the best movie you've watched? Uh, your kids have watched while you do dishes, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good question. Um, I'm a bit like. Let's see here. What movies did we watch this year? I've watched like not. I mean, there's been. I, I actually. Re- I think the movie we we watched quite a bit of. Um, oh, what's his name? And uh, it's the Disney movie that. Uh, about uh, the Day of the Dead. Coco. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, it's got a different name in Japanese. That's why I can't I do that. <laughs> so Coco? But yeah, I like that a lot. All right, all right. They really hated Blank Check, as I recall. That's... <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. No, not fans. Yeah. Not fans of... Well, I mean, we'll never know. They walked out after about 15 minutes and being like, what the hell is this bullshit? And then they just left. <laughs> why are you making me watch this, Dan? Yeah, yeah. And they left. <laughs> we did that for another bonus episode, yeah. and uh, and and Pat opened that episode by telling me I had to explain to his children what a check was. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that would be my job. I did. So, I did. Uh, the movie just was blank, blank yeah. to them. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I spent. I literally paused the movie and spent probably five to ten minutes explaining to John what a check was, and then about ten minutes later, he left. <laughs> Well, at least you learned something. Oh, that's great. That's great. It's a very educational experience. Well, this, if this movie is about a thing you write on and you're not writing on it, then... Uh... That's fair. That's fair. It's just a blank one of those, so it's not worth anything. <laughs> oh, friends, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, listeners, uh, for uh, for listening. Uh, we're so delighted to have an audience for a thing we do. <laughs> Always unexpected. Yeah, uh, for sure. But, yeah, so... Looking back on another year. Holy County USA was in this this year, too. Shit. Pat, do you know how long we've been doing this now? Six years, I think. This is the end of our seventh year of doing this. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to Rumi about that, and it was very confusing. I was trying to do the math, and I was like, I give up. (laughs) Math is hard. She's like, how many episodes have you guys made? I was like, 370-something? I I believe I posted 380. uh, Spine number 380. Uh, which does not necessarily yeah. translate to episode number 380. Uh, but it's the, all we got. Yeah. It's all we have in this yeah. world. <laughs> um, so 7 times 52 would be 364. Uh, so we are we are somehow above that, uh, despite being a weekly yeah. podcast. So if you so. listen to one a day, you could listen for over a year. You That's could, great. yeah. yeah. What well, if they were yeah. all at the same how how long could you listen to it for if it was just straight through? I wonder how. Oh man, they're all at least they average to probably an hour ten, uh, just because there's some yeah. pretty long episodes and we never really fall short of fifty minutes. So, cool. Uh, yeah, I don't. I can't do that math in my head right now. I'll say three eighty. Uh, no, me either. Anybody got a graphing calculator? <laughs> well, they're all about an hour, uh, and there's 380 of them. 380 hours is how many days? 18? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What a nightmare. You just did it. Days that would be for you, though, <laughs> just listening to us. 15. Okay. And imagine ending with this episode and then that section where you do the math of how much time. <laughs> yeah. And being like, God, why is this happening to me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the world, like the, literally the walls of the world just collapse on your head. Being like attacked movie. by a crossword puzzle. Well, yeah, basically, uh, yeah. This, that's just need a bit more space. These yeah. Well, uh, I'm talking about his English accent. I forgot about that. <laughs> the only reason why he's not a four-star general is because his British accent, because his father sent him to England for his formative years. <laughs> the justification for Gambone's British accent is one of the best. It's, I, it's awesome. Yeah, yes. it's yeah. a great piece of writing in here, too. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah. It's like like they don't need to do it, but they did, and it's funny. Uh, which I guess is true of the whole movie. So <laughs> I think that's right. And that's what we end on, Adam. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us, friends. Uh, have a great New Year. Have a great uh, holiday, whatever you uh, celebrate around this time, because there's a lot of them. Uh, shoot the moon. Go for them all. 
<laughs> we'll see you again next year. been listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. It's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.